DiscerningHearts.com presents A Handmaid of the Lord The Life and Legacy of Adrienne von Speyer with Dr. Adrian Walker Dr. Walker is an editor of the journal Communio, an international Catholic review. He received his doctorate in philosophy at the Pontifical Gregorian University in Rome. He has served as a translator for the English edition of Pope Benedict XVI's Jesus of Nazareth, as well as numerous other theological works, including those of Hans Urs von Balthasar and Adrienne von Speyer. Adrienne von Speyer is a Swiss convert, mystic, wife, medical doctor, and author of over 60 books on spirituality and theology. She's inspired countless souls around the world to deepen their mission of prayer and compassion. She entered the Catholic Church under the direction of the great theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar. In the years that would follow, they would co-found the secular institute, the Community of St. John. A Handmaid of the Lord, The Life and Legacy of Adrienne von Speyer with Dr. Adrian Walker. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Adrian, thank you so much once again for joining me. Thank you once again for inviting me. This has been delightful. Adrienne von Speyer, Handmaid of the Lord, her relationship with the Blessed Mother and her expression is something that, when I use the word ponder, you could ponder it for your entire life. It's so yes. beautiful. They bring us together. It's, it's not just her and the Blessed Mother. It's all of us. That's right. Mary, for Adrienne, is both a person, a very real person, at the same time, has a universal significance. Like Christ, obviously Mary is not a divine person, we know that. But like Christ, she's both a very real person and one who has a universal significance. There's an image which occurs in a lot of variations in Christian art. The Blessed Mother, who gathers... Christendom under her mantle. And I think that's a beautiful image that illustrates what I'm trying to say. On the one hand, there's a very real person with a very real presence. And at the same time, what's special or even unique to her, she very happily and very graciously, as it were, shares with the rest of us, drawing us under her mantle bringing us into her own sort of immaculate heart and so forth. These are all things that I think are familiar to any to any Catholic who has a devotion to the Mother of God. And the universal significance, that sense of sharing what's particular, what's special with everyone else, for Adrienne is very closely tied up with the mystery of the Church. There's almost a way in which for Adrienne, Mary is the soul of the church. To be part of the church is to participate in the soul of Mary. And to participate in the soul of Mary is, is to be really in the church, to be drawn into the heart of the church. So Mary is, in that respect and many other respects, which I'm sure we'll at least touch on, some of them, is, is absolutely central for Adrienne. It is, I just want to say right up front, this isn't about a competition amongst those who have 
expressed and helped us to understand the Blessed Mother. Carol Hauslander has written beautifully uh, about the Blessed Mother and her own imagings and her imagining, as well as even saints dating back to St. Anne Catherine Emmerich. But there's something different about Adrienne von Speyer, and it begins with the ascent. It, It begins with that yes. Once you understand that and appreciate that, it changes so much. It brings such a depth, doesn't it? I agree with both points. This isn't about competition. In the communion of saints, in the Catholic Church, envy has no place at all. And in a certain sense, there's no intellectual property either. Adrienne, I think, would very happily take her place alongside of Maximilian Mary Colby or Carol Hauslander, or St. Bernard, or Dun Scotus, who was the first great theologian of the Immaculate Conception, and so forth. And Alphonse Liguori. And Alphonse Liguori, and, and, and on and on and on, mm-hmm. exactly. So, And Adrienne does bring a sort of special accent into the, the chorus, or the praise of the Mother of God. And I think you're right, there is, a, there is something special, and it does have to do with the yes of Mary's yes to the incarnation and adrienne says at the very beginning of the book that you mentioned the handmaid of the lord that that yes is like the thing that holds together in the middle a sheaf of wheat uh, which opens out on the one side and on the the other side which means that the yes that we see her pronouncing in the gospel of luke you know that her yes to the incarnation is the thing that sums up the entirety of her life. It sums up her coming into being because she's conceived immaculate. And you see that immaculateness in her purity of her yes. But it also sums up the end. Her yes to the son's sacrifice on the cross in which she participates. And also her glorious assumption is also an expression of that yes, because it's impossible that Mary, who is so important for the identity of Christ, could remain simply corrupt in the grave. I mean, she has to be taken up into heaven. But the way that she is involved in the identity of Christ is first and foremost by saying yes, so that he can become incarnate. So really, her yes does sum up her entire life and the entire sort of spectrum of mysteries of Mary, from Immaculate Conception to Assumption into Heaven, Coronation, and Universal Mediation of All Graces. I mean, it's all tied up in that yes. In reading and in potentially listening or contemplating that particular work, Handmaid of the Lord, you'll find that it is really a theological contemplation. She takes what we do know as revealed in Scripture and through the teachings of the church and brings that into that contemplation. Absolutely, Chris. I think that's both beautifully put and absolutely to the point. This isn't a sort of life of Mary retold in a kind of visionary key. This is exactly what you say. It is a contemplation of what we know through Scripture and the tradition of the church, period. 
I like your pairing of the words theology and contemplation because, I mean, theology, of course, is a word that sounds daunting. Uh, I mean, we, we think of academic theology. But the core of theology is pondering, is contemplation of the mysteries, is trying to understand them, not simply in order to satisfy a kind of idle curiosity, but precisely because, I mean, in the first instance, if God has taken the trouble to reveal or enact these mysteries, then it's in part because he wants us to receive them, and we can't receive them if we don't ponder and understand. And that's exactly what Adrienne does. She gets out of the way and helps us to, as you would say, break open the mystery or to break through the surface so that to our great delight, we realize that, for example, the Marian dogmas aren't just things that we're supposed to believe and we don't know why, but we begin to understand why not only we have to believe them, which we do, and I, I don't mean to deny that, but to understand why we want to believe them, why it's a wonderful thing to believe them. To put it another way, I think I quoted in the last episode the words of St. Ignatius at the beginning of his spiritual exercises to the effect that what we want is not a bunch of information. What we want is to sort of savor things interiorly. And that's what Adrienne helps us to do with the person of Mary, with the, the mysteries of Mary's life, with the Marian dogmas. Let's take one of those mysteries, one of those Absolutely. scenes that I want to say it's mind-blowing and heart-blowing. Right. Uh, that's just, <laughs> it's the one that we pray in the fifth joyful mystery of the rosary, but also it is the second in the, the sorrows of Mary that many people have entered into. And it's the finding in the temple, a stunning moment where we think this is supposed to be joyful, but when you read it and when you contemplate it the way she has presented it to us, right. it's that the sorrow, the pain, is that you are not always going to be able to understand. Exactly. An excerpt from Handmaid of the Lord by Adrienne von Speyer from the chapter entitled Jesus at Twelve. While they were returning home, they noticed that the child is no longer with them. Anxiety grips them. Until now, the child's upbringing was for the mother, a thing that, in spite of his godhood, had run along normal human lines. She always supervised what she taught him, although she knew that the child shared his own secrets with the father. The two spheres had not yet visibly crossed. To her was first exposed the human part of him, and the divine part formed a background, which she respected and adored, but still knew only slightly. Now, when after three days of searching, the parents find the boy among the teachers in the temple, interpreting scripture, asking questions and answering them, it becomes clear that to them, even more than to the listeners present, Something new in this child is being revealed. It is as if the child had suddenly remembered his divinity, 
as if he suddenly began to live for his divine mission. Without informing his parents, and without being prepared by them for it, the son has independently undertaken something wholly new within his great commission. He does what he must do, no longer within the framework of a harmonious development, but with a sudden jolt. For the listeners in the temple, the child's wisdom is astounding. But for the mother, the experience means a complete explosion of everything that has been until now. And this throws her into the strongest disquiet. She had thought that the hour of the sun still distant. She had thought that during the time while the mother still guides everything in the child's life, the human element would prevail without being broken through, and that the great mission would be reserved for the years of manhood. Now she suddenly sees that the child is doubly guided, on earth by her, the mother, but also from heaven, directly by the father. The mother who obeys the father in heaven had accustomed herself to the fact that the child obeyed her and that she herself bore a double responsibility to God, her own and that for the child. For this seemed to her to be the will of the Father, that she, first of all, should impart this will to the child. And now she suddenly sees the clarity of a living picture, that not everything goes any longer through her hands and that there rather exists the direct obedience of the Son to the Father, an obedience which includes a total responsibility which breaks up her maternal responsibility. And when the Son, to her painful question, replies, Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about my Father's business? Then it really is so. The mother no longer knows. She had held to what was shown her, and she had comprehended. She did not and could not expect such newness. And now that it has happened, it seems to her as if a fruit had come too early out of its shell, as if the sun had broken too hastily out of the frame of normal development. She seems almost a contradiction between her own mission to protect and raise the sun in human fashion and the mission of the sun which eludes this protection. And so, she no longer understands. And in this non-comprehension, she is taught that her son is God. He's not only great, but the ever-great, whom one understands only through non-comprehension. Into God's ever-greater reality, she is thrust violently, almost by the fact that she no longer understands. The predictability of the first years with the child was a period of grace. Now begins the schooling through which he becomes practiced in his godhood. So, Adrienne takes very seriously two things. I mean, first, you know, the boy Jesus's words, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? And then the statement that 
also in that same scene, that uh, they didn't understand what he said. Interestingly, Luke goes on to say Mary kept all these things in her heart. It's a very, very interesting point that you bring up in calling our attention to Adrienne's taking those statements seriously. Non-comprehension, not understanding, sometimes is the fruit of sin, right? There's a kind of ignorance that is bound up with sin, and that kind of ignorance is not a good thing. But there's another kind of ignorance, which is not at all bound up with sin. That's why Luke can say of Mary Immaculate, uh, she didn't understand. And that's not a reproach. That's not saying you should have understood, oh, but you're a terrible sinner, and you, so you didn't understand. But there's something deeper going on there, there's, or there's something else going on there, which is that to say yes is a beautiful thing even when you don't always see what you're saying yes to, what, even when you don't always see what the consequences are. It's a bit like welcoming a child when a couple are open to the gift of life and then that gift is given. There's a yes there. And there's a certain sense in which they don't know, right, all of the, the details. They don't know, for example, what if the child dies in a terrible accident? Or, on the other hand, what if the child turns out to be a great genius? We've sort of forgotten this, you know, in our culture of prenatal diagnoses and things. Mm-hmm. But not knowing, you know, not even knowing whether it's a boy and a girl is actually a beautiful thing because you can be surprised. And that's the kind of thing that's going on here, that the not understanding is part of the reality and the seriousness of the yes. It's part of the seriousness with which God takes Mary's yes and says, okay, you said yes. And precisely because I love you, I'm taking that yes seriously to the point where I'm allowing you to experience some of the difficulty and the pain that's going to come at the cross when you stand on the cross already now. So that the non-comprehension and all of that has a redemptive significance. Those sorts of statements where the Lord seems to be harsh towards his mother, it's not because Mary is not important or because Mary is a sinner. It's precisely because Mary Immaculate has a decisive role in the economy of salvation, but her way of playing that role is to allow her yes to be broadened out and to be taken in directions that she doesn't expect. An excerpt from A Handmaid of the Lord by Adrian von Speyer from the chapter entitled The Ascent. As a sheaf of grain is tied together in the middle and spreads out at either end, so Mary's life is bound together by her ascent. From this ascent, her life receives its meaning and form and unfolds toward past and future. 
This single, all-encompassing act accompanies her at every moment of her existence, illuminates every turning point of her life, bestows upon every situation its own particular meaning, and in all situations gives Mary herself the grace of renewed understanding. Her ascent gives full meaning to every breath, every movement, every prayer of the Mother of God. This is the true nature of an ascent. It binds the one who gives it and yet allows him complete freedom in shaping its expression. He fills his ascent with his personality, giving it its weight and unique coloring. But he himself is also molded, liberated, and fulfilled by his ascent. All freedom develops through surrender and through renunciation of liberty. And from this freedom, within commitment, there arises every sort of fruitfulness. Adrienne reminds us that constantly of the fullness of grace, that she is full of grace. Exactly. So what happens in these moments then? She expands. Exactly. The fullness becomes even yeah. fuller. That's right. And it's extraordinary when you think of it. It's absolutely extraordinary because, to thank you for bringing that point up. It's important. It's just like with Jesus, right? Jesus sees the Father at every moment. And he's always already the Son of God. He doesn't become the Son of God. He's the Son of God from all eternity. And from the first moment of his conception, he's the Son of God made man. And he sees the Father at every moment. And yet, he obeys. Think about that. So his obedience is not a defect, right? It's, it's an expression of the fullness. And there's something like that with, I said just like, but I mean, you know, we're speaking rather loosely, but let's say there's something like that going on in the life of Mary. She's immaculately conceived. She doesn't have to convert. And not only is she immaculately conceived, but she remains perfectly sinless. And in a certain way, God doesn't have to worry. I mean, that's also mysterious because she's not divine, and yet there's a way that there's a fullness of grace there that is not going to be diminished. And yet, she obeys, right? Her obedience is not a defect. It's not the expression of a lack or of a problem. It's an expression of, of an abundance that's there from the beginning. And again, you're, you're right to put your finger on the, the sort of mysterious character, to point to the mysterious character of this, because to say that the obedience is an expression of the, fruit, of the abundance doesn't mean that the obedience is sort of, shall we say, just a kind of a show. But we really know. We, we already know what's going to happen, and so it's not, a, it's not a big deal. It's a kind of a show. No, the Lord. You know, he sweat blood in Gethsemane, and Mary's obedience costs her something also. It's real. What von Speyer does in that particular reflection, that scene, of Mary and the family members coming and how she presents that, it is a challenge. Because that's a, that's a scene in the scripture that all of us are uncomfortable with, that's if right. we're really honest. Right. I mean, especially for Catholics. That moment where the mother comes and it appears as though right. she's being rejected at the renunciation. In fact, if you, what 
Andrian does it for us is she says, no, it doesn't say in the scriptures that he pulled her aside and essentially said, Mom, I'm going to do this, but you know right. that after dinner later we'll have a talk and make it okay. No, this is a source of great suffering yes. for the Blessed Mother. Absolutely. that That's right. I mean, and there you see that, as we were saying before, you know, Mary is a, a real person and a theological reality, and, and here you're reminding us of the real personhood. And it's beautiful how in, in Adrian's meditation on Mary, the two aspects, I mean, really kind of flow into each other with such ease, you know, that she can think about what it means for her to be a mother and therefore how hurtful it is to be sort of pushed aside like that and to take that utterly seriously and to say the fact that she was immaculate doesn't mean that she wasn't a real human being it means she was a real human being and that therefore there was a real suffering there in this moment she makes mary someone who truly does understand it when we go through those moments, because this, she would say, is the beginning of Mary's essential dark night. We would know later that after the resurrection, he would make all things new. Right. For Mary, she first that having to give up potential of understanding, fully understanding yeah. all things, and yet she continues forward. But here now, even the relationship has changed. And for those of us who have sought that depth and that union in the spiritual life, that happens. All the saints tell us they have entered into those moments. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I mean, to enter into that doesn't mean that you're a sinner. I mean, at least in the case of Mary. I mean, maybe mm -hmm. it does for us. But in her case, means she's participating in the Lord's own redemptive suffering. I mean, the cross wasn't a lot of fun for Christ either, right? Mm -hmm. And she gets to participate in that. Part of participating in that sometimes means brought up short. The beauty is that she adjusts. She adjusts right away, as it were. But there is an adjustment that has to be made, and it can hurt. Again, I mean, a couple of things that just spring to mind that may help to understand this. that We usually think, okay, the holier you are, the easier it is. The holier you are, the less human you are, the more sort of you're, you're floating somewhere but not on earth. No, it's just the opposite. The holier you are as a human being, the harder it can be precisely because you're not just, as it were, dealing with your own personal sin or something, but that you're actually more and more following in the footsteps of the one who bore the cross. So that's one thing. I don't mean to sound like suffering in itself is, is glorious or something like that. But I do think that something of the realism of this, that there can be moments in our lives, uh, even in our spiritual lives, when there can be suffering, is really important to remember that Christianity is not a, a big security blanket. It's not a feel-good religion or a gospel of prosperity. I mean, and there's not always a quick fix to everything. There's not always a button to press or a pill to pop or something like that. And that it's okay that it's like that, that when those difficulties come, it's not, shall we say, because something has gone wrong with the program. It may be because we've messed up and we need to be corrected, 
or whatever. But it could also be because something really is going right with the program, actually, you know, and that's that's what these sorts of episodes in the life of Mary, I think, sort of show us. We'll continue our conversation with Dr. Walker on Adrian von Spires, The Handmaid of the Lord, in our next episode. You've been listening to A Handmaid of the Lord, The Life and Legacy of Adrian von Spire with Dr. Adrian Walker. To obtain the works of Adrienne von Spire, go to ignatius.com, the website for her publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find them at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for A Handmaid of the Lord, The Life and Legacy of Adrian von Speyer with Dr. Adrian Walker.